0: Turn with me in your copies of the Scripture to Acts chapter 15. I'm going to be reading verses 1-35, through 35, although I'm not going to be commenting on all 35 verses, uh, despite what I mentioned earlier during the announcements time. Um, I don't expect our, the sermon to be any longer than normal. But our text today is Acts 15, 1-35, the governance of the church. Here, once again, the very Word of God. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, "'Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us "'that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. "'So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, "'just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, "'purifying their hearts by faith.'" (coughs) Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may see the Lord... Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had... Throughout many generations, those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them The apostles, the elders, and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality." And if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to this portion of the book of Acts, where the elders and the apostles of your church in the first century gathered to to deal with a dispute that had arisen in the church, we thank you for this example on how you govern your church through men whom you've delegated authority to. We thank you, Father, that this example is here for our learning. And we pray, Father, that we would be faithful to it as well as we look to elders to govern us in the church. This week, as the General Assembly meets, Lord, we pray that you would bless the men who gather to do the work of the church, that they would be men given to your Word, they would be humble men, men realizing that the work that they do is that which they will be held accountable for in Your presence on the last day. Give them strength and be merciful to them, Lord. Give them wisdom and courage. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Well, brethren, as you've heard during the announcements this morning, our denominational General Assembly meets this week in Greensboro, North Carolina. And it's our practice here at Trinity to send our contingent of elders, one teaching elder and two ruling elders, to represent our church and our presbytery at those meetings. Since Elder Hill is still recovering from surgery, we've commissioned ruling elder Floyd Johnson from Middlesboro to join us. Elder Johnson will be serving on the Committee of Commissioners for Covenant College, while Shea Fout and myself will be serving on the Bills and Overtures Committee of Commissioners. There will likely be between 1,200 and 1,800 commissioners from the 85 presbyteries and 1,545 churches in our denomination. The meetings will take place beginning tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. and are scheduled to conclude Friday at noon, though it is likely we, we will adjourn sometime late Thursday. I'm bringing this to your attention because our form of government is modeled after the form of government we see in the earliest days of the church found here in Acts 15. From this text, we learn how the church is to be governed in the midst of conflict, how those who are rulers in the church are to act in subservience to the Word of God, and lastly, that the governance of the church is to be transparent before the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so those three points make up my sermon uh, points today. The elders of Trinity Presbyterian Church are Presbyterians by conviction, not convenience. There is nothing convenient about being a Presbyterian. Everything is done either by committee or by commission, which is a fancy name for a committee endowed with specific powers. Thus, decisions that affect our denomination are done over time and with much deliberation. And this is the case at every level of our form of government, from the local session to the presbytery and then on to the General Assembly. To give you an example of the deliberateness of our denomination, I would like to tell you what it takes to amend the constitution of our church otherwise typically known as the Book of Church Order. But our Constitution includes our standards as well. The Westminster Standards, uh, the Confession, and the larger and shorter catechisms. Let me give you an example of what it takes to amend the Book of Church Order. It takes at least a majority vote of the General Assembly. Then the General Assembly sends it to the presbyteries which another vote is taken on the amendment at the presbytery level, and assuming the presbyteries agree to it, then it goes back to the General Assembly for a third vote before the actual amendment takes place. And if it were to be an amendment to our standards, the Westminster Confession and the larger and shorter catechism, it takes a supermajority of those who vote at the General Assembly as well as at the presbytery level. And this year we actually have an amendment proposed to some of the uh, verses that are appended to the Westminster Confession of Faith. So I suspect we're going to get a constitutional business uh, uh, decision on whether or not that takes a supermajority vote or just a majority vote. These are the kinds of things that we do at General Assembly. Why such a laborious process? Why do you do it that way, Pastor Hickey? That's a really good question. There is a really good answer though. Brethren, it is because we take seriously the depravity of man. We take seriously the depravity of man. Even those men who govern us in the church. Even the best of men are susceptible to acting in their own self-interest. even when they're called to act in the interest of Christ's church. So we're suspicious of everybody. When we look around the room, I wonder if that man's faithful, if that man's faithful, if I'm going to be faithful. Every one of us ought to have some suspicions about our own faithfulness. After all, we're sinners, aren't we? And there are times that we yield to temptation. And so we have to be very careful. Well, I want us to consider our text. The matter of circumcision has become a matter of contention in the early church, in verses 1-5. through This matter was so contentious that Paul, an apostle, and his cohort, Barnabas, and other leaders of the church are sent from the area north of Jerusalem, the Antioch area, sent to uh, Jerusalem to consult with the apostles there and the elders there, with regard to whether or not it was necessary for men who had converted to Christianity to also be circumcised, those who came in from the, the ranks of the Gentiles. <clears throat> this matter was, was very contentious at the time. And what we see here is that uh, the, uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas head to Jerusalem we see this in verse 6. Now, I do want to make an anecdotal uh, mention of the word elder in verse 6. It's the word, the Greek word presbyteros, from which we get our words presbytery and presbyter. And it, re- it literally means gray bearded one. So both Shay and I qualify when we go to General Assembly. We are governed by elders. Thus we, as a denomination, generically are called Presbyterians. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you will see the word Presbyterian there. That is a reference to how we're governed. We're governed by elders, but not just elders individually, but elders assembled. The assembly of elders govern the church. So let's again look at our text, beginning in verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused, and, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Paul and Barnabas are, are, are doing a missionary... Uh, I don't know if they did fundraisers back then like they do now when missionaries come to visit, but they're giving an account of what the, the, the Word of God is doing in the lives of people. People are being converted throughout the Gentile world. And if you think about this in the first century, when the Jewish people were, the, were the, the the mindset of the Jew was, we are the chosen people of God, but now that's being blown apart with the inclusion of the Gentile world. The whole Gentile world is going to become part of the church. And the the chosen people of God are going to be from both the Jews and the Gentiles. And so the people are rejoicing when they hear this news, that the Gentiles are being added into the church. Verse 4 And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, the pres- presbyters, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. That particular phrase, verse 6, chapter 15, is the first mention of a council in the church of any sort. And it's a general assembly. But notice what happens at the beginning of verse 7. And when there was much dispute, and when there was much dispute... According to the text, this dispute about circumcision was taking place throughout all Judea as well as in Jerusalem. This was no small matter. There was much dispute over it. The emphasis is in the script. Rather, in some respects, it's no different than today. We still have arguments over how much of the law is, is uh, required of the people of God. Here, It was the the very specific portion of the law dealing with circumcision. And these converted Pharisees were teaching that all the laws of Moses were to be kept, including circumcision. Yet the Jerusalem Council, the Council of Apostles and Elders, disagreed. Notice that there was much dispute, as I mentioned before. Brethren, good men can disagree, and they do disagree. I believe uh, the last few years, uh, the General Assembly has been uh, streamed on, live online uh, throughout the course of the week. You can probably find it as well this year, pcanet.org. Um, I suspect it will be streamed live again. If you want to see good men disagree, take a few minutes, pull it up on your web browser. You'll see good men disagree. Lots of them. 1,200 of them. And they do it in a very orderly way, which is kind of nice. But consider the men in attendance at this first church council. Likely all 11 men who walked with our Lord for three years were in attendance. His disciples are now apostles of the church. They have additional authority. The authority they did not have when Christ walked with them but now they have it. Along with these men are the elders of the church. Those who were taught by the apostles themselves. Likely some who did even met Christ. James is spoken of in this passage. Uh, It's considered that he was the uh, moderator of the First General Assembly because of his mention here in the this passage. Brethren, this was a who's who of the greatest minds of the church in the first century. And even that group, in that group, there was great dispute. They disagreed. Now there's an unstated yet very clear principle that is evident from our text. Unstated, but I believe is very clear. The apostles and elders that met in council together at Jerusalem were evidently very committed to living in submission to one another. We've got a dispute. It's not a time for separation. It's a time to fix it. Let's come to one mind of what's happening here. They were living in submission to one another. Though they differed greatly, they came to a consensus and communicated that consensus overtly to the known church. This pattern is the pattern that your elders believe we should follow in governing the church today, whether it be at the session level or the presbytery level, which is a regional area of churches of like mind and commitment to the same constitution, and then the general assembly level, which is the churches of all the presbyteries, of which there are currently 85 presbyteries in our denomination. And this brings us to the second point. Subservience to the Word of God. There's one thing that's here again that doesn't seem to be stated, but is very evident in their deliberations: is that the Word of God was the thing that was over overshadowing their whole uh, consideration. Turning back to the problem at hand, it would be a mistake to conclude the Jerusalem count. Council rejected all the laws of Moses as seems to be the case in verse 10 when Peter says this, now therefore why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? It almost seems like Peter is saying all of the laws of Moses have been done away with. That would be a mistake to draw that conclusion. We know that because the final action of the council when they crafted the letter that went ultimately to the churches included four different laws that came from Moses' books. They said these are the things that you need to pay particular attention to. Circumcision has been done away. Christ changed the sacrament of initiation in the church from circumcision to baptism. Think about the broadening of that particular sacrament to the church. Prior to that time, women women were not circumcised. Only the men. But in the New Covenant, everyone is baptized. Everyone. In verses 28 and 29, the letter that was written to the churches, we read these words, "...for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden..." then these necessary things, these necessary things, this is coming from the pen of the first council of the church, the Jerusalem council, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. That's what it means to be separated from the world, brethren. Those four things are the things that the Jerusalem Council brought the attention of the church to as the things that the world embraces that we are not to embrace as believers. What are we to conclude from this seeming inconsistency? Peter's don't burden these people with this yoke that we ourselves couldn't even keep from the Old Covenant with. A letter that says these four things you must do. These, these are things necessary to be done. Well, first, Peter's broad statement should not be taken in isolation from the work of the whole council. If you look at the passage again carefully, you will see that, that James and, and Paul and Barnabas are talking about the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit always works in conjunction with the Word. And then you'll see even later that Uh, James quotes from the book of Amos when he talks about the rebuilding of David's tabernacle. So, Peter's words are not isolated from the rest of the council itself. They all go together. And the work that the council did was to say, no, it's not necessary for circumcision to be practiced, but there are things necessary for us to do to honor God. Rather than the Gentiles were being united to the chosen people of God. Old things had passed away in Jesus Christ. The new way of looking at the law needed to be clarified, and the Jerusalem Council was doing that very beneficial work for the church. Notice with me that God's mighty hand of providence is being shown here through the work of this council during the time they were having a conflict in the church. God works even in conflicts. We don't like to think in those terms, but such was the case here at the Jerusalem Council. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purposes, even our conflicts. And here in Acts 15, but for that conflict, how would we know that the church should be governed by elders and apostles initially, later elders because the apostles pass away, should be governed by elders who are assembled to think about these things. Brethren, the book of Proverbs says, In the council of many there is safety, and this is being acted out in Acts fifteen before our eyes. Notice as well that James stands and quotes from the prophet Amos in verses sixteen through seventeen how the Lord would bring the Gentiles into the tabernacle of David. I bring this to your attention because the Word of God was ultimately the arbiter of the dispute at the First Jerusalem Council. This too is to be the continuing practice of the church. The church, when in the midst of disputes, and no matter what the dispute is, must look to the Scriptures for wisdom and a solution. We must remain steadfast in that commitment if we hope to honor God and benefit His people. And that's the charge that Shea and Floyd and I have this coming week. We have to summon our knowledge of the Scriptures for every dispute and yield to it at every circumstance. Well, our text ends with the Jerusalem Council circulating a letter to the various churches throughout Christendom. The letter clarified that indeed there were commandments from God that should be honored, but circumcision was not one of those commandments. There was an openness to the deliberations of the assembly. After all, it's recorded in the Scriptures, isn't it? I mean, how how much more transparent could it be? It's transparent for the life of the church for eternity. It's recorded in the Holy Writ. Well, that's an example for us as well. That openness was followed by a transparent, open letter to all the churches. Brethren, when Jesus did his mighty work of redemption for the church, he did it openly and publicly. Nothing was done by stealth or in secret. His commandment to his church was and is to shed light on the darkness of this world. To shed light on the darkness of this world. Satan and his minions love darkness rather than light. Light always shows us our sins and and the consequences of our sins. Brethren, it's hard to endure, but it's good for us. Light shows us our sin and the consequences of our sins. How can we repent unless we know how we have offended God and His laws? And that's what light does. And that comes from transparency. How shall we overcome our sins unless it ex- is exposed to light. In the case of the Jerusalem Council, its deliberations have been recorded for all eternity in the very Word of God. The letter that was sent to the churches of the first century has become the instructions for that century and for us as well. What was necessary then hasn't, it hasn't faded away. It's necessary for us as well. And the example of how the churches governed in the first century, in the midst of conflict, has become the model for the church throughout the millennia. Light was brought to bear on the conflict. And within the church, that light became the light of the world as God teaches us how to govern the church. And this brings me to some applications. There's only two, There are only two people in this whole room that are going to be at the General Assembly this week that I know of. Unless somebody happens to be traveling through North Carolina and wants to stop and see the deliberations. They are open to the public, by the way. There's a whole section of the hall set aside for those who just want to come and observe. And generally, there's, I don't know, 50 or 60 people there to observe uh, throughout the course of the, the assembly. Some are <coughs> church reporters for websites like the Aquila Report. Uh, Some are uh, observers from other denominations. Maybe pastors who are looking to move their credentials from one denomination to the PCA. Others are family members of the commissioners. Some are just local uh, PCA uh, members who want to see what's going on, want to uh, see the deliberations. Others may have uh, something one of, the, one of the overtures, or maybe something that's being brought to the docket, is of importance to an individual, and they'll show up to, to watch as well. And there's a, a, a whole section set aside for those folks. But most of the people there are men like Shay and myself, elders in the church who are there to do the work of the church, to deal with disputes, to make decisions. No less than 25 overtures have come to the assembly for decisions. Some of them are minor things. Changing the boundaries of a presbytery. I doubt we're going to hear a a dispute about that. Other things could be fraught with with, uh, disputation between the men. Your elders will be called upon to bear witness as to how the church ought to go forward in the midst of these disputes. We are to take the wisdom God has given us in our years of study of the Scriptures and use that to make our decisions. And we'll cast votes for and against the actions of what I'm going to call the Greensboro Church Council. The Greensboro Church Council, which will happen this week. The decisions of the Greensboro Church Council will affect the church of Jesus Christ. And those elders participating at the council will one day give an account for their actions before the King. Uh, On that last day, Shay and I, Floyd with us, will have to stand before our Lord. And he's going to ask us, why did you cast your vote that way? And we're going to have to give an account for those actions. Fortunately, our Savior will speak before I have to speak. If He erred, His sins are covered. And I will look to my Savior with thanksgiving in my heart. Because He has brought salvation to a sinner. Brethren, those accountings will happen for you as well. It won't be for General Assembly's decisions, but it will be for the decisions you make each and every day. The opportunities to do righteousness missed. The times you yielded to temptation. The times you didn't even care about what God's law said and you acted in defiance to it. Sure, those things happen. I know they do. I'm looking at a room filled with sinners. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, before you have to answer your Lord, the Father, He will intercede for you. Just as He's already interceded for you. And send His Holy Spirit to bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And if a child, then a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's the kind of Savior we have. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy, who intercedes for his people when we're due judgment. Brethren, I, I come to you asking that you pray for us this week, Shay and myself and Floyd, and all the commissioners to the General Assembly. If you get on the website and see the deliberations and you say, boy, this is boring. Much of it is. But at times, there are things that are not so boring that need great consideration. Much of that work will be done in the committee that Shea and I will serve on, the Bills and Overtures Committee, where the tough issues come up first. That committee then makes a recommendation to the body of the whole whether to vote something up or down. Sometimes there's division at the committee level such that uh, it becomes very tense. And when that recommendation goes to the floor of the General Assembly, that the tenseness of the, the division in the committee seems to, to, to rise again on the floor of the General Assembly. That's when we need Your help. Pray for us. Ask God to give us wisdom and discernment. To make us humble men to not go with agendas except to honor Christ and to be faithful to that. That's what we plead for this week. I ask you also to uphold our families as we are away from them. I understand a little bit better maybe what we're going through. Uh, Our wives, Shay and my wife Lori, Shay's wife Chris, my wife Lori, have endured these weeks for many years, so they know a little bit what we go through. But pray for them as well as they pray for us. And then lastly, I ask you to solicit God's favor on the whole assembly. That Christ's church might be strengthened. That His kingdom would indeed be advanced through the work of the General Assembly. And that His name would be upheld and exalted on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray together.